Good morning, I'm so glad to be here. Before we really dive into the text together today, I'm just gonna open with prayer, if that's all right. Let us uh, start with faith. Lord God, we come before you this morning because you are the true and the living God. We know no one comes to you, Lord, unless you draw them. Um, and we know that it's impossible to please you unless we really believe that you are the rewarder for those who seek you out. So Lord God, reward us today with your word, with your spirit, and with renewed hope in Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the promise and the power of faith. And we just pray in Jesus' name, Abba. Amen. Well, today we're gonna be talking about Faith's National Portrait Gallery. And I am slightly, you know, awkward about talking about this because I have never been there to the one that's here in London. And in my defense, it is closed until like 2023. So I feel very like, you know, you can't hate me too much for having not been there. I, I don't know when it was closed though. I have been here for five years, so it could possibly, uh, it could have been open probably while I was here. So I probably can't be completely alleviated, but a little bit, a little bit. Now, when we think about a portrait gallery, not that I've ever been to one, but when we think about a portrait gallery, what do you think about when you think about portraits? The first thing that probably comes to your mind and to my mind is what you're actually looking at, right? You're looking at some random man or woman's face. Maybe a collection of men and women, maybe adorable little children. Occasionally, I'm sure there's a dog somewhere in the National Portrait Gallery, like, but you look at the face, you look at what is being depicted in that picture. But the thing that you don't often realize, that we don't notice, that we don't think about when we're thinking about portraitures, is the artist who actually put the portrait together. And actually, the person who's drawing, or the person who's painting, or the person who's taking a photograph, makes all the difference because they have a particular lens on that person. And especially when you're talking about things like painting, there is a way of capturing somebody, capturing a person. And actually sometimes you can see things that come through in them that you would never see if you just walked past them on the street. Sometimes you'll look at a picture and you're like, whoa, that person's so loving. I can just tell, look at the eyes, there's something about the eyes. And then you look at the other, another portrait and you're like, this person, they just have like, I don't know, this command presence and somehow it's coming from the lips and I can't really explain that, but it's definitely the lips. And when we think about Faith's National Portrait Gallery, that is what Hebrews 11 as a whole is. It is a collection of portraits a collection of people being depicted from the legacy of faith that we have from the Old Testament. And the thing that is truly unique about it, the thing that makes it different, is not just that these are a bunch of people that somebody decided to paint, uh, figuratively speaking, in this case, write little synopses. What makes it distinct is that not only is it them that are being depicted, but that it is God himself who is doing the depicting. 
And so actually, when we come to each one of the people that we're going to come to in this whole series of Faith's National Portrait Gallery, that is the nation of Israel, the, the people of God, when we come to them, we're not just going to find things that are true about these people. We're not just going to look at people and say, oh, well, this is a good model that we should emulate. But actually, what we're going to see is how God was at work in their life, because what is going to be depicted is not just simply a face, but the, inv the complexity of events and, and the lived reality of faith of somebody's life. What's going to be presented is not a theory of what faith, uh, what faith could be, but the reality of faith in action. And on top of that, We've called it Faith's National Portrait Gallery. But there is always, when a painter is representing somebody, something that you learn about the painter. And so actually, not only are we going to learn what the legacy of faith is, what, what a testimony, what a life of faith really looks like, we are going to learn about who God is as we look at them. We're going to see who God is. We're going to see the kind of God he is, and we're going to see it through faith. So our first question today is, what is faith? I mean, if we're going to talk about faith's national portrait gallery, we kind of have to answer this question. Um, without cheating, can somebody just shout out what faith is, an answer? Trust. Trust. All right. Any other answers? Hope. Hope. Can we get love? Yeah, that's okay, yeah. <laughs> and the truth is actually faith. I think in our, in our world, we, we kind of wrestle with faith, and sometimes faith gets thrown around like, oh, this is this person's faith, or this is that person's faith, or I have faith that this will happen. But sometimes, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear people talking about faith, some of the things that kind of get concerning is, where, what is the difference between having faith and wishful thinking? Because any of us can sit here and just want some stuff to be true. That is very easy to do. I want a lot of things to be true that are not quite true today and that are not necessarily me wanting them from God because God wants me to want them to not be true or to be true. The truth is, we can tell ourselves all kinds of things. What is the difference between faith and just telling ourselves what we want to hear and telling ourselves what makes us feel better? Because I think a lot of people, when they think about faith, and maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, and the way you've thought about faith is it's just a kind of psychological crutch. Maybe a crutch is too strong. It's a psychological access point, an orientation to the world that advantages per certain outcomes. Whatever you want to call it, what is the difference between faith here in Hebrews 11 and just having faith? You know, sometimes somebody will say, oh, you know, I really want to get this promotion, and then a friend will say, oh, I've got faith, you're going to have it. Do they, is, what's the difference between that and this kind of faith? Well, that's a hard question. It's very easy, I think, to feel and to think, you know what, faith, it's just a bunch of wishful thinking. It's what we tell ourselves we want to be true about the world. 
But actually, when we look here, faith is way more radical, way more powerful, way more impressive, and frankly, way more fun than anything that wishful thinking could ever possibly do. What does it say? It says, faith is the reality of things hoped for. Now, that is a bold question, a bold statement, the reality of things hoped for. It's a way of looking at the world, a way of looking at the things that we're hoping for as if they're already here. It's, it's kind of like when a woman is very, 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 very pregnant. Right? You know literally it could be today, it could be tomorrow, but it is not going to be next week. It is for sure. The, the due date is here. We don't know when, but this baby is coming for sure. Now, you, you haven't seen the baby born yet. And you have all this hope that the baby will be born. But you're still in this sort of intervening period before that time comes. And God gives us this amazing, and, and the truth is that's not even a very good metaphor because there's a thousand things that could happen to somebody before they give birth. And great tragedies exist in this world. In fact, I'm sure throughout many ages of history there's been horrible, horrible things that have happened and a and things that people have hoped for have not, come, have not come through. There's a fundamental difference in the kind of hope that faith is the reality of. Well, what's the difference? The difference is these things that we're hoping for, we hope for, but it's, it's not just what we're hoping for, it's also who we're having faith in, the power of faith, the reason it is the reality of the things that we hope for is because the one that we're trusting is the one who can do something about those things. And the things that we're hoping for, they're, they're not just things, wishful things that we would like to be true, but these are hopes, these are promises, the things that we hope for, these are things God himself has given us faith for. And sometimes I think the way that we know that God is actually wanting us to, to hope in these things, to hope in some specific things, to hope in some specific promises, some of them are in his word, some of them are, are just things he speaks into the world, things that we just have in our hearts that we know God really is, is calling this, and I know it deep down in my bones. How? And then you're like, but how do I know that this isn't just something that I want to be true? And there's a question of wisdom there. But I think one of the ways is that when we're talking about things that we really hope for, what we're talking about are things that also God has given us faith to believe will be real. And so much faith that we don't just think of them as a hope, as a wish. We think of them as something that is just as real as if we have them. We don't have them today, but we know, just like we are gonna look at two people today, we're gonna look at Abel and we're gonna look at Enoch, and what they had, what they knew was real, was more real to them than anything else. And it, it also says that faith is the proof 
of the things that we can't see. And there's a lot of things that we can't see, to be, to be frank. How is it the proof? I think sometimes when we think about faith, we think actually what I need from faith. I need some proof so I can have faith. That's what a lot of us here and, and a lot of people in our, in our culture, that, that is our default operating procedure. We're like, where is the proof? Where is the evidence? When I get it, then I'll have the faith. That's what we think. That, that's, that's probably where most of us live because that's the way we think about the world. But faith is, is actually more proof than the proof that we think we need to have faith. Think about that for a second. Faith is more the proof that we need than the proof we think we need to have faith. And why is that? That is because faith is this powerful reality when we look at God and when we know that this is God's will, when we see it, when we're holding on to the problem, the promises, even if there are problems. The faith is the proof. God has given us faith and it proves to us. It, it might not prove it to anybody else. But to those who have faith and those who know the Lord, it will be proof enough. So what does it mean to have faith? In some ways, you can hear this and you can think that this means a lot of abstract ideas. But at the end of chapter 10, which leads into this, he says, look, the righteous person will live by faith. And it's saying, you know, while you're doing the will of God, you do the will of God so that you can hold and you can obtain the promises. And then he says, look, it's just a little bit longer. Look, some of the things that we're hoping in God for, they feel very, very far away. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have waited on God for a lot of things for a very long time, and it is nobody's easy task. I've shed many tears waiting for the Lord. I'm not telling you that having faith for God to do the impossible is an easy thing. What I'm saying is that God can do and will do the impossible because that's who he is. And he is all the proof that I need. And he is more real than the things that I'm hoping for. That's why faith can be the reality of the things hoped for because I know the one who is more real than my own hands. But it's not a theoretical thing, it's a lived thing. When I say live by faith, when the scriptures say live by faith, they mean something that actually involves action. If all of us leave here today and all we go home with was, well, isn't faith a very interesting theoretical construct that I could probably apply to my own life? That would be a problem. That would be a problem. Faith is not a theory. Faith is lived. And it can only be lived. And that is why it gives life. Because as we participate in faith, we participate in who God is. And when you are participating in the God of life, his life, his hope, his love, it spills out over into our own lives. And it transforms who we are. Which brings us to our next question. What does faith change? What does faith change? Well, the first thing that faith changes is what we can know. 
you can look at verse three. It says, by faith we know. And actually this is the word for intellectual understanding. We are able to intellectually understand things because of faith. Sometimes I think we think that faith can hinder us from understanding things. But actually, faith is also an intellectual virtue. It shapes our hearts and our minds, and it shapes the way that we look at the world, so actually we can see more of how the world really is. Faith does not, is not in competition with knowledge or science or reason or any of these things. In fact, faith is what makes all of those things possible. And when we look at by faith, we know God created the ages from things, all the things that we see, not from things that are, are, are part of the, the visible or material world. How did he do it then? Just by his word. That's it. Now, we can't know this because we did the mathematical calculations of the Big Bang and, and at the end we're like, Definitely God spoke into, into nothing and created the universe. But in fairness, all of the theoreticians can't get past the singularity anyways, and they're kind of stuck there, and they have to take the singularity and all of the reality as a point of faith. How do we know that the world is the way it is and it's been crafted and designed and, and that God has a providential ordering of it? We know this by faith. Yes, we can see things in the world, but it's our faith that enables us to see the things that without faith we would be blind to see. What's the next thing that faith changes? Faith changes what we can give. This is able. Faith changes what we can give. What happens? By faith, Abel offers this sacrifice, a better sacrifice than Cain, to God. And through this faith, he is attested as righteous. Remember, in each one of these portraits, it is not just them showing us something, but God testifying of the value of looking at them for faith and revealing more of his, himself in their life. And th so even though he is dead, he still speaks, but why, who did the attesting? God did it, and what did he do it? Because of his gifts, because of Abel's gifts. Now, if we went back and we looked at the story of Cain and Abel, which we do not have time to do, but it would be nice if we did. Both of them are giving God what they have to give. Cain is a farmer, so he gives fruits and vegetables, and Abel is a shepherd, so he gives lambs. Sometimes we think, well, it's, it's, a, it's because Cain didn't give a sacrifice that involved blood. And maybe there's a little bit there. But even more, you can look at how Abel gives. And what does he give? He gives the firstborn of his flock, and he gives the fat portions. Abel is all in when he gives to the Lord. Cain gives some of the fruit of the land. Faith changes what we can give. It changes how as Abel shows, our material possessions. It, it changes how we give our time. It changes how we give our talents. It we can be truly all in because one of the things that faith demands is that we don't just believe that God exists, but that he rewards. And the reason Abel can give his best is because he knows God can re reward him with better than the best that he can give. And it's that simple. 
A lot of the times we don't give our best to the Lord because we think what God would have for us is not better than the best that we can give for, to him. But Abel shows us that we can give our best, that we can give our best to the Lord. So we don't have to hold back. And in fact, faith demands that we give our best to the Lord. Because when you truly know that the Lord is the rewarder of those who seek him out diligently, when you truly believe that what we hope for and the things that we can't see yet, but that God is who he is, when that happens, you just go wild. Like, you just go completely wild. The early church was filled with people literally selling all of their stuff. I want you to imagine that. I, don't, I haven't met a Christian who's done this recently, but it used to be like a semi-regular thing in the body of Christ. It's a good question about where our faith is. The next thing it changes is not just what we can give, but how we can live. Enoch walked with God. That's how the Old Testament describes it. But the way Hebrews describes it is Enoch was taken away so he didn't see death, taken away to be with God, and he wasn't found because God took him away to be with him. And before he got taken away, he was truly attested to truly have pleased God. And why, why is that so crazy? Because actually, if you go back in Genesis, this is the first time it is ever written that somebody walked with God. Nobody before Enoch is said to have walked with God. In fact, the word for walking around with God that, that Enoch uses, is used to describe Enoch, is only used when God is walking around the garden looking for Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve are hiding. I don't know if you caught it, but actually, our legacy of faith started with creation and skipped right past Adam and Eve, because they are not a good example of how to have faith in God. But what makes Enoch different is that when he sees God walking around, he goes to be with him. He walks with him. He goes where God is walking. He goes where God is living and doing, and he's there. He is not like Adam and Eve. He's not running and hiding from God and avoiding him. Where, when you look at Enoch, when we look at Enoch, we see a man who wherever God is, that's where he's at. So it changes how we can live. And our question today is, if we see God walking, are we walking with him? It changes everything that we do and all that we live. The next question is, or the next thing is that faith changes how we relate to death. Both Abel and Enoch have this interesting proclamation about death. Abel still speaks even though he's dead because faith, when you're bound up with the Lord and when he is your rewarder, then actually death is not the end for you. Death is a thing and it is bad, but it is not the end. And so he actually is able to continue to speak. And it's very interesting that, that Hebrews says this because if you go back and you look at the Old Testament passage, Abel actually never says a word. So how is he speaking? He's speaking to us through his life of faith. Because faith is not just a theory, it's not just a bunch of words. It's the whole package of life lived with faith in God. 
and Enoch actually, he is taken away and so he never sees death ever. And this is the promise that all of us right now we are hoping for because what they show us is that whether you and I die before we see Jesus, we will see Jesus and we will still live. But there is a promise and it is an amazing promise in the New Testament that not all of us will sleep, as Paul calls it, or die. But that one day there will be a day and maybe it will be today and we hope it is very soon. But may God bring as many people as possible to faith before he returns. But on that day, Jesus will come in the clouds and it will be epic because there is no cloudy day, not even a rainy day in January here in London that will not be dispelled by the glory of Christ when he wrecks this world and he breaks through the clouds and we see him and we will be caught up into the air and made like him and there will be no death. Some of us standing here today, we may not have death. It is not just a theory. It is a promise, and it is a promise that we are holding on to with all of our hearts. Amen? And therefore, faith changes one last thing. Changes how we relate to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, not only will we please God, but we will see God do amazing things. We will see God do the impossible. Because when Jesus talks about the faith of a mustard seed, his point is, is not that the power of faith comes with the size of our faith, but with the size of the God that we put our faith in. So I don't know what kind of impossible things you're waiting on the Lord for today. I don't know what promises. I don't know what desperate needs. But what God has given you hope and what God has given you a faith to trust him to change, let's seek God to change it. But before we seek God and we have a time for prayer and response, we are going to respond corporately, all together, trusting in something that we cannot see and preaching to ourselves the great good news of Jesus' is coming, which we will say in the liturgy, it is great. Jesus will come again and we are going to take the body and the blood of Christ. And though we have not seen Christ, he is our hope. And the communion that we are going to take today is not just the reality, but the proof. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. And we just pray that you would glorify your name in us today. We pray that you would feed us with your son's body and blood. And we pray, God, that you would give us faith. In Jesus' name, amen.